Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. We are your hosts, Mr. Craigers. And Miss Melmore. And tonight is a special uh, episode that uh, we're putting out in light of a sad, you know, unfortunate recent passing, you know... October might never die, but sometimes mm. it does do. Nice. And I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you're in the horror circles, you've probably seen that uh, on uh, Saturday, I believe, late on Saturday, we lost uh, horror iconic legend and director Tobe Hooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was 74. He passed away from what was ruled as natural causes, but it's still really, really young and it's still difficult for a lot of people in the horror world because of the resume that he left behind and um, some of the movies that he made that changed the game and mean a lot to a lot of people. So we're just going to sort of take a a, a special episode. Um, you can't be mad at us that booze and booze is delayed again because this is not our fault. We did record it. It did happen. This is it just, has been this took precedence. This took so precedence. much so that we just didn't number it because yeah, we, we are out. not the natural causes. I, we're, we're not responsible for this. I didn't. I, I was watching Game of Thrones. I don't. I don't I know. Watching what, Game of Thrones. I have an alibi. Ne- yeah, I was saying to Miss Mel, I was on Twitter this morning, all prepared to look at, you know, all the Game of Thrones silliness that Twitter has to offer in the wake of the finale. And what do I see but a tweet from another horror legend, John Carpenter, expressing his sorrow at losing his contemporary. And I was like, what the fuck? I um, had seen some random person on my Twitter feed post like last night, last night being Sunday, um, like oh, like Tobe Hooper's greatest whatevers, and I'm thinking, all right, this person's just weirdly sharing their favorite right. Tobe Hooper things, and it I sounds like an obit. Like I don't know, I figured more people would be talking about it, but it came at a uh, a point where social media was inundated with other with other topics. So turns out it was true. So mm. turns out unfortunate, it was true. very unfortunate. So, yes, we're just gonna we're just gonna take whatever as much time as it takes us and just sort of take a look at uh, Hooper's life a little bit, his career, his standout films. That you know, why do we consider him uh, a legend? Why mm. why do we call him a master of horror? Legacy. What is yeah. a legacy? What is a legacy? We will explore this. Um, sort of as we did, unfortunately, not too recently with George Romero. Yeah. Quite a rough year. And so I thought maybe we could start um, just with a, a, a cool quote I found from uh, Wes Craven. Um, gosh, also RIP. I know. That, um, was not, that was not super recently, but it still no, stings. Two years ago, was crazy. Yeah. It was around so this crazy. time, though, I think. Wasn't it, like, in September? I think he also died in, in yeah. late August. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Wes Craven once, in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, described uh, his fellow horror director, Tobe Hooper, as, he said, a filmmaker like Tobe Hooper can convince you that you're really at risk in a theater. And that says something. 
So just thought maybe we could keep that in mind as we talk about his, his life and his, his career. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to, how, how do you want to? Well, I know. So I know what immediately comes to mind when you think Tobe Hooper, but I'm thinking we shouldn't start with that one. Okay. Um, so maybe let's, um, what? What's sequential here? All right, just some quick, some quick rundowns as we, yeah. as, we this out as we as we spitball. Um, Toe Hooper was born in Texas in 1943, uh, the son of a theater owner and his wife, and so he sort of grew up around film and being interested in filmmaking and uh, the movie making industry, in particular, getting an impact on how movies could affect people and that sort of special magic of the movie theater. Uh, he started making movies on an eight millimeter when he was nine and numbers. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see one of those, man. And when he was old enough, he started taking radio and TV classes at the university of Texas at Austin. And then eventually went on to study drama in Dallas, um, where he, uh, would eventually start teaching. He was a, he was a professor, uh, and I, I believe he taught film and drama. I couldn't actually Years, find yeah. a source about that. And then he started making uh, short documentaries and short films. He made a film called The Heisters. He made a uh, short film called, or no, a uh, feature length, I think it actually was, called Eggshells in the late 60s. Um, and then he made his directorial debut uh, with his 1973 film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. And that's, um, and you have to remember, because us horror people, we get really particular about this. For the first movie, Chainsaw are two separate words. <laughs> <laughs> it's only for the sequels that they become one. Chainsaw. Chainsaw. Um, like alien, then, aliens. Aliens. <laughs> Now, so you're thinking we probably maybe put a pin in... Yeah, because I, I feel the like that's off. the one that I'm going to have the most to say. Well, I just think that's kind of the big one that people associate with him with. Um, sure. So yeah. give some time to, to some of the lesser-known stuff. He did a lot of horror TV. Um, he did. He directed uh, like a lot of episodes from Tales from the Crypt. Yes. Which is cool. And obviously cause... he did um, the TV... Made for TV Salem's Lot. He did, yeah. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, da, 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 da. I've just got some sort of general notes that sort of combine all of this stuff. Okay. Um, okay, so structurally, if we're looking at what Hooper did, uh, most of his movies sort of. Um, skewed the, the traditional structure of most movies and horrors up until that point, that sort of three act drama, you know, where you, there was always character learning and development and we're responding to the crisis. All everything pre Texas Chainsaw Massacre was very much that had a shape and it had closure. But after what Hooper did with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because that movie undercut everything. That was chaos. It was complete chaos. It, was really sort of the first horror movie where we realized that there's no safe place uh, for us from terror anymore. 
and the unstructured structure of Texas Chainsaw Massacre really just altered the whole base of the horror movie, which is very impressive. Even, I mean, even talking about how influential like Psycho and Peeping Tom were in in the 60s, they were really movies, I think, that bent the rules, but Hooper was sort of the first one that mm-hmm. shattered the rules with Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, that, that movie, not to get too much into it, but this might happen naturally, yes, I don't know, but just that, that oh, film yeah. is just like a complete, sh- like, it's just, it is literally like chaotic neutral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the D&D players. Um, it... You know, it's like even from the opening credits with that that just burnt orange and and the sun, like it's just because there's no like you know there's motive, right? We know that, but it's not like Psycho where it's like you understand there's a mystery, you understand there's there's um you know a structure going into to what's going on here. There's something to be discovered. This is like there's no surprises. There's nothing going on other than mass murder yeah and and chaos yeah well and i think i like that you brought up motive because i think texas chainsaw was really maybe the first time where this motive that there is for this chaos and this carnage that unfolds it's so like sort of anti-human and anti-humane that it's really really hard for people to wrap their heads around, which adds to the terror. Like Leatherface doesn't, and you know, by extension, the whole Sawyer family, they're not viewing these characters as people and they're not even viewing them as sex objects either. And that's something that we can get our hands around, right? With it, when it comes to other slashers and monsters and serial killers, they're just looking at these people at meat and that's really, really fucked up. Yeah. So, so you had that going on, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, about Texas Chainsaw in a minute. But especially with this sort of breakout movie, um, Hooper got a reputation and sort of pioneered this style um, as something called the 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 No Deal style. He was even referred to as the No Deal Kid after a quote from uh, L.M. Kit Carson, a playwright who said that Hooper was a new deal, simply this, no deal. He was a scared director who was methodically unsafe, who the audience finally just could not trust. He would go too far and then farther and farther again and then kick it and then get an extra kicks and then it's over and then one more kick. No deal, my friend. That's Hooper. So this reputation is really kind of badass and awesome. And if you, I think if we're looking at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if it has a structure, I think it's this, it goes far and then it goes farther and then it goes too far and then it kicks you and then it's over and then it kicks (laughs) you again. (laughs) Um, and so he had this sort of no deal reputation attached to him after uh, Texas Chainsaw, which was relatively low budget. It was very much a cult movie. It was made for under $300,000. And he gets a lot of attention and he goes to Hollywood. But like a lot of Hollywood horror directors, even more so for him, he had a lot of trouble adjusting to sort of mainstream parameters. Um, he did a, a film three years after Texas Chainsaw Massacre called Eaten Alive in 1976, mm-hmm. which is, um, it follows, uh, the crocodile, um, 
Or... No, that's the Joe Ball, the serial killer one. The yeah. Life serial yeah. killer story. Isn't there? What, what's the monster in this one? Um, or am I thinking of? There is a film called Crocodile. That like that's you're correct. That's what. But yeah, he yes, because he does do a film called Crocodile. Yes. Yes. Um. Which, you know, it's a that one's a well, it's okay. <laughs> but anyway, um. So and that film was that was sort of um very spiky and unconventional and not super coherent. So it, he sort of ended up tarnishing his reputation right away. And then they gave him another shot with a really big Hollywood film. And that was poltergeist, which hmm. if we're looking at poltergeist, just poltergeist, it's definitely regarded as a very, very superior work. Um, critics loved it. Audiences loved it. <sighs> There's been a huge debate since 1982 as to who actually directed Poltergeist. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a bit about that, Miss Mel? Well, basically the lowdown, what I hear from, you know, my contacts and <laughs> um, <clears throat> is basically that... Our insight. <laughs> Tobe Hooper got obviously the, the he's you know he got the credit as the director. He was listed at the as the director, but he it might have been more of a um, sort of like Shadow King situation, Shadow Monarch. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people think that most of the directorial work was done by Steven Spielberg, who. Yeah legally could not claim credit for it at the time yeah. um because he was doing what was he doing he had it was so it was a contract issue with universal that wouldn't uh, didn't allow him to uh direct poltergeist because he had to do et yes um and he had to he could he wasn't allowed to be attached to anything else until et was like finished and under wraps and gone through the whole cycle because they knew ET was going to be really huge and they wanted his full attention on that. So as Ms. Mial was saying, Spielberg is sort of considered by a large camp of people to be the uncredited real directorial force behind Poltergeist. And if you've seen Poltergeist, it feels quintessentially Spielberg. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's got the sentimental celebration of American <clears throat> life, American family life specifically nailed down and um and there's no body count in poltergeist too which i think is and it's structured right like we were saying that that totally yeah that um hooper's other works his or you know texas chainsaw and eaten alive you know these were these had this sort of chaos to them and there was no there was no obvious um rules or structure going into like the world building of the, the morality, the mythology of it. It was just plain old, you know, what happens when people don't see people as other people. Um, mm. This definitely has a structure to it. Like it has, like you said, the quintessential Spielberg, you know, look at domestic life. It's got uh, a foundation in, in the family unit. 
um, and their relationship and that plays in later when you know when you get to the climax and that sort of thing so these are all things that aren't really super Tobe Hooper-esque elements no um, it lacks that grit you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very compared to the to Texas Chainsaw. It's very clean. It's very soft. I mean, I I know a lot of people out there probably wouldn't use those terms for poltergeist, but in 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 the Hooper spectrum, you know, this is like super tame. Um, yeah. So I even like, and don't you even feel that like poltergeist is is somehow more manageable and somehow more tame than even than Salem's Lot. Even though Salem's yeah. Lot was made for TV, oh but yeah, there's something about something about weirdly Salem's comfortable Lot that's, about Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, there there is, and yeah, it's like you were saying, the narrative is very structured. It's very sort of, uh, it's very traditional. traditional. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know, I think Hoover's Hooper's uh, influence is there. Maybe if you if you start to look at the subtleties and sort of peel back layers and Mm-hmm. Poltergeist definitely presents that you know uh, a sense of a darker undercurrent in in this story, but overall, um, I think it's a it's really a Spielberg baby, mm-hmm. um, which is which is sort of unfortunate because that was sort of Tove Hooper's last shot. I think it was known in the industry that he didn't actually really direct it. And um, he did do a movie uh, three years later called Life Force, which is um, very interesting and, and sort of all about horror and sex and how those two get married together and um, very sort of a fuck decorum. Um, but it, that it was very, very poorly received. And then after that, his work in the 90s was uh, primarily in television. Yeah. Um, he worked on Dark Skies. He worked on uh, uh, Freddy's Nightmares. He worked on um, uh, Masters of Horror. Uh, that was a little bit later. Um, he directed Tales from the Crypts. And then his movies <clears throat> were... Um, Really not not good movies in the nineties. Um, Night terrors. The Mangler's okay. Crocodile. Crocodile. Circling back. Crocodile. Yeah. Crocodile. <laughs> which, which is um. All you need to know about Crocodile is to look at the poster. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that was like at the sort of like remember like right around the late nineties and the early two thousands when um creature features got really big again and yeah. You had everyone, you had like the, the Anaconda series was happening yeah. and, and they did, um, more sequels to Lake Placid and sequels to Alligator yeah. and Crocodile. Yeah, cause and, then they got into, what was it? The, um, the, the shark one at a certain point too. The one where there's sharks in the lake and they're making like a snuff film. I forget yes. what that was called. Yes. What is that? Yeah. And so open that. something. Something about with the waters in the title of some, like right. wa- wa- red water or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. But. Well, and then and then God knows, and then that has evolved, and now we have Sharknado Five or whatever just happened. God's sake! That was oh. on yesterday when I was trying to find HBO on my television. God. It was like I had to pass through that channel to get to <laughs> you should pass through to get to it. I've seen the first two, and I think that's all I. I, need. I only saw the first one. Oh, so I guess I'll, I mean, 
I will say, if you're going to sit around and make a drinking game out of them with your friends, that's probably an excellent choice. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so so Hooper sort of, even um, maybe what we might call the low points of his career, sort of in the 90s when he was, you know, um, doing things like night terrors and spontaneous combustion, it's always sort of been about, he wanted to explore those like, far, far flung corners of America, right? Like Rust Belt, decaying America. Mm -hmm. Like uh, thinking about in Texas Chainsaw, like the Sawyer family, they've um, been stripped down and basically mechanized out of their their life industry, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was all, he's always very, very, Gritty. I keep. I keep. My mind keeps going back the to the word grit. Gritty. Yeah, like yeah. I like the words like grit and raw and just sort of raw. Visceral raw. gets overused, but in this sense, I do think it applies. Because even in Salem's Lot, which is not necessarily sort of a gritty or rusty portrayal of American life, because it's you know it's Stephen King adaptation, small town in Maine. It's still very raw. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's, a, that's a dark uh, story. Shit does not go well. Yeah, and. I think he was, he's a really good choice to, to tell it. He also did a, um, uh, he did like a psycho-ish based movie, like a, a freak sort of movie called The Fun House in between, yeah. say, The Plot and Poltergeist. Um, if you, you are like me and you hate clowns, The Fun House will scare you. It scared me. Oh. Yeah, I didn't like it. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> I know it wasn't the fun house that originally did that to me. It was it, but yeah, I remember, no, that'll I remember seeing up. the fun house and it didn't help. Um, and, uh, um, and then the other major part of his career, um, is that, uh, he ended up back on a, a contract with, um, Canon films, which, uh, basically forced him to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre two about, um, uh, 13, 12 Texas or 13 Chainsaw. Years. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Um, after the, at least a decade or more after the first one. And it's, um, it's very sort of black comedy, very sort of dark horror humor. And, um, and yeah, so is there anything you want to make sure we say about um, anything not Texas Chainsaw. I'm trying to think if there's anything really to... Because my thing with Salem's Lot... I mean, that's the thing, too, is part of it is, like, you know... You know, the relationship between the written work and the director. And, you know, I read, you know, Salem's Lot, the book, so it's interesting to see the way it was adapted. Um, and it's yeah. such a unique story, I think, for Stephen King, because... You know, it's 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 cliche, right? It's about vampires, but it's like Stephen King didn't like that was like the only time I think Stephen King really delved into that topic. And this is the only real adaptation of it. So um, something that sticks out to me a lot uh, with Tobe Hooper. But yeah, I mean, I think we just keep saying it's, you know, very gritty and very... <laughs> Yeah, I know. Very raw, trying to come up with new, with new things to say. But um, 
Evocative. Evocative. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Salem's Lot is, is like that. And it's, it's grainy. Yeah. And not just in, not necessarily even in quality, but I think just even in sort of the story that gets told and, and how this town ends up eating itself alive, figuratively yeah. and literally. literally. And you kind of watch it, and I feel like you get a sense that is kind of there in the book, but I feel like Hooper heightened it a lot for the, um, the miniseries that, like, these people were doomed from the moment Barlow gets yeah. to town. Yeah, there's, there's just no such a sense of real dread. salvation available for them. Yes, yeah. dread. Dread, which hangs over Texas Chainsaw. Um, because we get, it's definitely helped by that, you know, the now iconic opening credits where that deep voice narrator yeah. tells us on the night of August, something, something, 1971, true story, da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh, but even if you take that away, I feel like even from the beginning, there's a total sense of dread throughout yeah, no, Winston. like, it's just, like, I always have had that image of that, 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 that the image of the sky that you see, um, yeah. like, just sticks in my brain, um, which is interesting because, you know, it's bright colors, it's the sun, but it's, you know, normally these things kind of come, you know, it's like, it was a dark and stormy night, and you've got the moon out, and, you know, normally these things come at night or in darkness, and not with these warm, you know, colors that you normally associate with a sunrise or a sunset so it's yeah it it, it, it works well and that and it's, it's a great play too right because the yeah the threat uh arrives at their doorstep so to speak in the middle of the day like that that's yeah. not supposed to happen yeah yeah i'm supposed to be fine in the daytime <laughs> yeah that's why i have a nightlight no i don't that's why I have a new one. So, so yeah, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for those that don't know, uh, we follow this classic group of college students who are headed out uh, basically into the Texas boon, boondocks to... Um, Such a fun word. Settle an arrangement involving um, the inheritance of a house. It's really not important why they're out there. Um, they pitch up a hitchhiker who is, uh, turns out to be way more deranged than the usual, um, age of Aquarius sort of folks. Yeah. That's another and, thing too, uh, I guess too, you could even say it's like, it's like a play on counterculture with counterculturing the counterculture. Definitely. I remember we, yeah, we talked about that a lot. Um, uh, because we, we watched Texas Chainsaw in my horror film class. And obviously mm. there's a lot to talk that about. That one I didn't get into. <laughs> yeah, that one. Never forget. Never forget. And uh, the counterculture thing and what was he trying to say and what was it really a comment on. It's very, very interesting. But um, basically they have a run-in with a family of cannibals, uh, the Sawyers. They're not named the Sawyers until the sequel, but that the is Sawyer. what we forever know them as now. Um, who... Used to be uh, a slaughterhouse family, um, but the industry has moved on and they've sort of been left in the dust, completely dirt poor, literally. Um, but 
still with slaughterhouse tendencies that have drove them all mad. And it sounds sort of conventional up until this point, right? Like a bunch of kids on a road trip and then creepy locals take over. But that's where the convention stops because then everything after that, it's just sort of fucking absolute chaos. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes is, uh, it's not Sally. It's the other girl, the first girl that goes into the Sawyer house when she falls into like the living room and oh it's my God. with the bones. Yeah. And the yeah. That's the thing too, it's is this, this movie gets into it so quick. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, there's no sort of sense of buildup, sense of false, like, safety it's just immediately like not like immediately but like for you the viewer like what you're used to seeing and like this is what we're talking about you know with dismantling the formulas like what you're used to to seeing like in a horror where you've got that period of like oh it's chill like we can pretend we're all watching a normal movie and nothing bad's going to happen like it doesn't really have you don't have that grace period at the beginning yeah um, no of this film it's very quick and yeah, and then before you know it, you've got there's Leatherface slamming open the the meat door and coming out, grabbing her by the waist, and and she's gone. Um, and surprisingly, and a lot of people, uh, even people who watch it, like watch it like one time, um, they'll be like, "Oh my god, it was so bloody! It was so very, very little gore is shown on screen." Yeah. Um, very, very little of the actual killing, uh, like. It has such a lurid title, but... Yeah, and um, the cover with the just him swinging, and then that ending yeah. where he's just swinging the chainsaw, like you think Back it's going to be a gore fest, but... You do. Even the, the famous tagline, uh, who will survive and what will be left of them, um, you don't really see the cutting up of these bodies and yeah, stuff or, or whatever. Or eating or any of that. Yeah. But um, there's no... Uh, because, yeah, it's sort of like the, the thing that truly disturbs you isn't like that there's a chainsaw-wielding maniac, right? I mean, that is that is pretty terrifying. Kudos to Hooper for seeing the potential for terror in a chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's where it started. All your chainsaws sure in, in haunted houses came from there. You can thank you can thank him and Leatherface. But I think the real terror beca- comes in like there's no real explanation as to why – the family lives in this condition and to why that, why they've become these grotesque cannibalistic monsters. Yes. Like we get they're They're poor. It's a poor area, but why such a severe devolution, you know, like, I think that subconsciously plays on the viewer's mind, you know, that like, really, is this all it takes to, to turn ordinary people into yeah into these horrific kind of monsters um and uh indeed indeed yeah <laughs> sorry i'm just looking at the rest of my yeah, notes i see it's like i can see him looking you can't so i'm gonna you guys can't <laughs> you guys what the hell i was doing i just sort of trailed off there um skin this movie makes a big deal mm. out of skin, which always weirds me out. Yeah. Um, not even, like, we've got Leatherface, whose mask is made of stitched 
skin, but uh, the the grandpa with like the yeah. crazy wrinkles. That to me is even worse than Leatherface's mask. I don't know. I can't. I hate that part where the grandpa comes out and they're trying to put the hammer in his hand to to murder yeah. Sally. Yeah. Um, Which, but that scene is great though too. Like where they where they have her at the dinner table, and it's everyone sort of devolves into that like maniacal laughter and screaming at her, and she's just desperately trying. She's like, "I'll do anything. I'll do anything," you know. Obviously, the implication being like whatever, rape me, yeah. sex, stuff, or whatever. And they're they're not interested in that. Yeah, they don't view her as a sex Which object. Which is. I don't want to say that's, like, interesting, but it's interesting in terms of, like, you know, at this time, there was a lot of stuff going on in horror with, um, with, with using rape and using, you know, this sort of, like, torture porn and, um, mm-hmm. sexual assault as a, as a form of horror, you know, Wes Craven did that quite a bit in the 70s, and you had that kind of being the norm, like, in a lot of these you know, these, you know, there's, um, the Hills Have Eyes does it, um, Last House on the Left does it, you know, all these, that was kind of the thing at the time. Um, so it's interesting that that doesn't really come up at all, even though you've got this character who's 100%, you know, like, I'll do anything, offering it up, and in any other horror movie that might have happened, um, but it's, it's not a factor here. And because it's almost like, like if you're imagining that you're the character or you're imagining you yourself in this situation and you think like, okay, like it's the darkest possible outcome, but maybe if I offer my, like, maybe I can rely on this, you know, maybe that will save me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, cause she wants to use it as a, as a, she's gambling, right? Anything yeah. to possibly prolong her, her life. And, and then when you have that taken away, it's like, ugh. you know, like n- nothing's nothing's gonna gonna save you at this point. Um, which is interesting because we have all that stuff in the opening where uh, Pam is like reading the horoscopes, and they're talking about Mercury being in retrograde, <laughs> and there's very much the sense that, that. Like, ties into that sense of dread, right? Like this it does, all, yes, yeah. Well, it's like fated to happen. They don't. Yeah. It's, they were doomed it's in from the, the stars. Beginning. It's in the stars. Um, yeah. And that's, that's sort of kind of, I think it's reflected again when Sally has the initial escape from the house and um, like over to, to the gas station and stuff or whatever. And it's a lot of these like just long shots of hers just like running through the fields in total darkness. And it's very much like nightmare logic, right? Yeah. And, you know, she escapes the house. She ends up at the gas station. Who owns the gas station? The family. She, you know, she tries to run again. She gets captured. There's no way out. Yeah. It is, it does seem like it's, it's faded. She can't escape. Um, which makes the ending all the more powerful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the meat locker bits and. Yeah. You know, just all of it is. It's an incredibly grim movie. It is, and that ending bit's a roller coaster because it's just bouncing from one dead end to another um, mm-hmm. of not being able to escape. And then... It's also very sort of... Uh, just 
just thinking of just the title of his other film, maybe it seems like sort of a theme. Like it feels very fun house, mm. like watching it sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Like it's, it's exaggerated and it's over the top distortion. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I can see that. And then there's, there's lots of iconic moments and iconic shots in the movie like you know we we have the tracking shot of Pam when she gets up from the swing and walks to the house and mm. it's sort of looming behind her you've got um, when he pulls her back inside the door there's the dinner oh, table scene yeah, yeah. and um, but I think the most iconic is the ending this sort of mad swinging of the chainsaw as the sun comes up and and Sally's managed to escape, and she's just broken into this insane laughter in the back of the truck. And yeah. It's almost poetic, which is... Uh, you might be able to hear my cat crying. <laughs> interesting to think about. But cats love podcasts. That's a rule. That is a rule. Yep, yep, there he is. I don't know. He might so. come back later. Um, yeah. No, and that's the thing, too, is, like, there's... For me, just not even, it's like there's several iconic shots, because there are, but it's like there's several shots that stick out in my mind, you know, across yeah. this, that have nothing to do with gore or um, no anything actually, you know, truly horrifying happening in that moment. It's just the way the, the, the events are pieced together and the way that they happen and the way that, you know, we're, we're shown that, that um, really sticks out. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's definitely very much a masterpiece. One of the greatest horror movies ever made with a pretty much miss with maybe some hit moments uh, for the franchise afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, there's a new one coming out supposedly this year, next year, Leatherface. A prequel about him as a child? I don't know. My favorite was the one that I made. Well, I didn't make you watch it. I was just like, Craig, this exists on Netflix, and you got so angry. And we yeah, it. it was a, a Texas Chainsaw. Chainsaw 3D. Yeah, or just Texas. I Chainsaw. think it's just ta- called Texas Chainsaw, but it was in. Which 3D. I think is like the sixth movie in yeah. the franchise. That was maybe about the seventh. Some chick who finds out like. Oh, it was awful. She was a Sawyer child who was taken from the family, and she gets a message to go to the mansion because she's got some inheritance or some shit, and part of her inheritance is taking care of her crazy cousin who lives in the basement. Right. And they turn him to some kind of, like, Quasimodo, like, tragic hero. Yeah. I'm like, no. No. Do you think, cuz... Do you think, cuz? I'm she, a Sawyer. As she throws him the chainsaw, encouraging him to murder. Yeah. No, that was a weird tone, that movie. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. Well, and it's like, because like she's our heroine, and we're like still made to root for her, even at the end. And sort of end up, like you up. say, rooting for Leatherface. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's interesting that you cut out the uh, cannibalism part. Yeah. Because like, it's weird, because you can, like... There is sort of that thing, right, where 
in a lot of uh, these like slasher franchises, you do end up starting to root for the killer because the people are just so dumb. Yeah. You know, like halfway through Friday the 13th, you're like, you want Jason to kill everybody. Yeah, well, that, and that's like what they were playing with in the, the stab films in Scream was that, you know, people were cheering at kills and stuff. And yeah, it's like, exactly. You're rooting for it. And it's like, that's, you're rooting for it. And that is something a lot yeah. of horror fans like. We like creative kills yeah. and kills that are interesting and look cool on the screen. But it's easier to root for whatever reason to root for a serial killer than to root for a cannibal. Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, the point is, uh, Toe Hooper, obviously, Texas Chainsaw in particular, it was uh, his biggest mark, um, which is very impressive, given that it was his debut. Mm. Um, his real debut. Um, and, I, I mean, we could talk about it for days, but yeah. it's, not, it's not really an episode about Texas Chainsaw. It's an yeah. episode about him. Um. Do you have anything else super important you want to add? About Texas Chainsaw? And uh, just Toe Hooper in general. Toe Hooper. Um, no, because I'm going to use the word grit, gritty again. And <laughs> I'm going to hate myself. It's like that episode of Family Guy when they use Fantastic twice in the same like news segment. And um, he gets angry. It's like, really? Right. Couldn't come up with another word? Fantastic. So kind of on theme for our podcast remember that slew of episodes where i just kept saying and stuff or whatever and stuff or whatever and then you explained to us like the origin of that i apologize yes <laughs> the origin of the story i've the probably origin. done it since i'm sure so the th yeah that version of this in, in tonight's episode is gritty <laughs> gritty that has no origin story other than it's starting it's to true. lose meaning now that's <laughs> <laughs> like you've said it so many times it's not a word anymore i know I'm like, oh, that's so weird. Gritty. 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 <laughs> um, so I guess if you guys take anything away about Tove Hooper tonight, do you take away that he was gritty? <laughs> he was a gritty. He was a gritty. He made gritty ooh, films. He did. And um, yeah, and he and he had been quiet for a good while now. He hadn't. Yeah. Was, he wasn't really directing TV or movies. His last movie was in 2013. I didn't see that. It's a mortuary which was in 2006 came out probably 10 years ago. Yeah. 2005, um, 2006, one five or six, I think one of those doesn't yeah. matter. Tell me any date. I will believe you. I will believe it. I'm usually really good with September dates. the 15th. I don't believe I it. 2005. But the point is, um, now he's gone, um, yeah. hanging out in horror heaven. Yeah. Uh, with Wes Craven and George Romero. The thing to take away, too, is, you know, in, you know, any, even across other genres, Texas Chainsaw was definitely one of the most influential films yes. of its time period. Um, so. You will be hard-pressed to, you know, do a top 10 horror movies, top 15, top 20, whatever, you know, any list of best horror movies. Nine times out of ten, it's probably going to include Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. AMC's um, October. Is it October? What do they they call it? Something, but basically their Halloween marathon in October is got a Fear lot Fest. of Fear Fest. I was like, somebody else calls something Hauntober, and I think it's fucking Disney Channel. I think it's Disney Channel. <laughs> yeah. Where they play Twitches and 
Listen, and, uh, Halloween Town. Halloween Town's great. Um, I love Halloween Town. But yeah, that some iteration of Texas Chainsaw, whether it's the first one or the fifteenth one, somehow shows up in those. Um, <laughs> yeah. Those marathons. I feel like they usually play the second one a lot. Yeah, I don't see the first. I could one be making that too up, much. but I don't know. Oh no. Because yeah, the second one, like, is like weirdly like they. It's not necessarily played for laughs, but it has a lot. It's like very dark comedy heavy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. But he was his. He didn't really have a lot of creative freedom with that one because of his contract with Canon. But. Yikes. Yeah, it's it's just kind of it's sort of a bummer because like he never really seemed to bounce back in the way that I think. Mm. You were kind maybe of hoping some maybe, other horror yeah. directors did. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, if you look at you know you've got that with George Romero, you know you've got that with yeah. um, Wes Craven in the nineties, Carpenter. You know, even Dario Argento is still still working pretty heavily and mm-hmm. he's having some hits and misses. And But, yeah, I don't know. But this was just, you know, our, our moment here in Splatter Chatter to take some time and recognize a very influential career of an influential director and... Give him his just due from some fans. Some fans. Us. We're the fans. Yes, that's it's us. Me. And hopefully you guys, if you've yes. not seen any of his film, um, check some stuff out. Uh, Definitely, I would, you know, obviously Texas Chainsaw. Check out Salem's yeah. Lot. But, um, I also, I would, rec- I would also recommend Funhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, even Life Force. To, to, it didn't do well, but I think it, it's very pure. It's very him. Um, what he wants to do. I actually also re- he did the remake for Toolbox Murders, hmm. which is, is kind of fun. It's a fun thing. So, yeah, it's a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Um. Anything else? No. So I guess uh, we'll, we'll tell people where they can cut find to us legal media. We have, we have no legal. Um, so if you want to hit us up, tell us if you have any Romero bits and pieces that, that, uh, you'd like to share. Maybe your, you know, first time seeing a film or not Romero. Tell us about those two. Um, but mostly Tobe Hooper. (laughs) I'm glad you caught that. I would have just kept going. Um, anyway, so to do those things, tell us about anything or to tell me when I say the wrong name. Um, like Ross at the wedding. Um, uh, check out Twitter, Splatter Chatter 666 minus all the vowels, or just search Splatter Chatter. It will come up no matter what. Um, Craig's blog is Splatter Chatter 666.blogspot.com. On Tumblr, we are Splatter Chatter.tumblr.com. On Instagram, we are Splatter Chatter 666. And in email, we are Splatter Chatter 669 at gmail.com and be on the lookout for our, our, our rebranding, our new logo. Uh, we're going to work on getting some Patreon stuff up there. Um, as That's why we our... need those emails. Yes, God, we need to do our newsletter and you want to participate in. in our book club. Yes, our newsletter, our book club. It's going to be great. We're going to have really fun Patreon rewards. We are. And um, I had something else I was going to say. 
this is really encouraging you guys to um just check yeah. out the, the the announcements podcast as per that um and we'll explain more once we i'm sure you know we'll put some sort of um you know explanation video on the front of our patreon or something like that so yeah yes yeah be on the lookout excellent mm-hmm. excellent stuff yes and um yeah i think at this point everybody knows our upcoming content because it's been delayed this so has much been delayed. it is truly coming the booze and booze um it special two-parter of axe murders of Velisca, followed by uh, a factual look at um the historical murders after that we've got our um it's super special coming up uh we have um some very special stuff in the works that's that's brewing um mm-hmm. and uh before you know it we'll be uh, doing our our halloween content oh, so yeah we will keep an eye out yep. and until we see you guys again to booze it up we um want to remind you to keep up the creep and then we shall say au revoir adios and das vidanya